0: One
1: small step Internet Talk Radio. Planet Earth, this is Talkzone.com.
0: And now, more sports and torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris.
2: Elliot, let's get right to our next guest. As soon as we get him on the air. That would help, wouldn't it? It would help. But I was looking at the people we've interviewed so far because I was working on my website. We've had about 18 interviews with Hall of Famers since we started 14 weeks ago, and it's been real interesting talking to these guys, the stuff you learn from them.
1: Yeah, it's always good to hear their perspective on contemporary issues and uh, recalling the history of the NBA in its earlier days, the glory days, some of us would say.
2: Oh, I mean, some of the stuff you find out from these guys, I mean, the camaraderie co- they had, how they all got along, basically how the game really hasn't changed that much. It's still the same game. Right. It's all about teamwork, passing, making sure you... Yeah, v- act- very basic fundamental techniques that applied, you know, 50 years ago still apply today. It's not about having the best talent. It's the teamwork. Look at the Bulls. I mean, they're not the most talented team in the NBA, but they have the best record.
1: Yeah, that, that's
2: that was an amazing story. Well, let's get right to our next guest. He's an eight-time NBA champion with the Celtics. He's going into the Hall of Fame this summer. Tom Sat-Sanders, how are you doing?
0: Listen, feeling good. Thank you.
2: So what took so long for the Hall of Fame to
1: recognize you as a Hall of Famer?
0: Well, you know, there there are so many players uh, that that certainly warrant that title until uh, I can certainly understand it.
1: So you're sort of coming off the bench. (laughs) <laughs> In typical Sat Sanders fashion.
0: Well, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, you know, it's funny you mention the bench. I had uh, on the eight championship teams, I started on seven of them, so uh, the bench was not my friend, uh, except at the end of my career. <laughs>
2: okay. Someone said that Arba kept some, his sixth man on the bench to prevent him from earning more money. Basically, he kept Havlicek on the bench, and those guys, so they couldn't say I'm a starter. So when they're negotiating.
0: No, that was certainly not his, uh, his style. And uh, whatever it was, it certainly didn't work with Hablicek. He <laughs> was such an integral part of the team. Uh, no, I'd venture to say that uh, Auerbach saw the, the, uh, the, the excitement and the movement and the, uh, the, the pressure that came in when Frank Ramsey came into the game as the sixth man because he was coming off the bench in the uh, late 50s. And when uh, we were able to get Havlicek in there from Ohio State, we knew darn well that he could uh, do the job that Frank was doing, and there was another six man.
1: Now, when you were playing, did you realize how great a team and an organization you were a part of?
0: Well, first coming out of New York City, I wanted to go to the Knickerbockers, and uh, they drafted Darrell Imhoff from uh, California, and then, of course, uh, Boston took me in, in that first round. I, they had won two championships, or was it two, or was it yeah, three championships, and they'd won them without me. So I just assumed that they didn't need me. Okay.
2: You must have a four-leaf clover up your butt to get drafted <laughs> by the Celtics.
0: Well, it was certainly a great day. They were already doing extraordinarily well, and Russell, of course, uh, I had seen him play in college, and when he had come to Madison Square Garden, and et cetera, and there was no question about his ability to to dominate. And uh, he was doing the same thing in the pros.
1: Deep down, was it tough rooting for the Celtics, being a New York guy, even after you were part of the organization?
0: No. You know, One of the things you you always do when you play, if you are, for example, drafted in a round uh, where you thought you should have gone in an earlier round, first thing you're angry at about, at this stage, about 29 other teams. So you can't wait to play against those other teams to show them what a mistake they made.
2: I'm looking at the NBA's top 50 players of all time. Mm -hmm. You played with five of them, Bob Cousy was with you from 60 to 63, Collins, 70 to 73, Havlicek, 62 to 73, Sam Jones, 60 to 69, and then we've interviewed a lot of NBA Hall of Famers, and they all almost agree that Bill Russell, the best player of all time, was also part of those teams from 60 to
0: 69. Oh, no doubt, Mama. And if I had to start a, uh, you know, there's some really talented players on that list, and, and, and that are playing now. But if I had to start a team, uh, I would certainly go with Bill Russell, no doubt about it, hands down, even with all the Michael Jordan, the Oscar Robertson, Jerry West, and all those kinds of people out there. No question about it.
1: Now, is it a question of Russell's heart rather than just his pure defensive and rebounding ability?
0: Well, it's his defensive ability, frankly. Uh, anytime a man can, you know, they only talk, they didn't really uh, uh, add or count Block shots in those days, but what you have to recognize is that Russell probably averaged about uh, four or five block shots at least per game. But not only that, he uh, he must have goaltended you know at least three or four more. And the one thing you begin to realize is that players do not like to have their shots blocked, even when the referee gives it to them and says, "Hey, listen, it was goaltender." the one thing that's in the back of a player's mind, I don't want my shot blocked. So the intimidation factor was I'm, immense. And I'm, so I, I, there's no question that Russell is worth 20 points a game for the for the, uh, for the the defense, for our team, for whatever team plays on.
2: I'm looking at that team. So you had Kuzi at guard, Sam Jones at guard, you at forward, Havelchek at forward, and Russell at center. Was that the starting five?
0: Well, earlier than that, uh, in 60, 61, of course, it would have been Tom Heinsohn uh, and, and, and myself, uh, Bill Russell, and certainly uh, Bob Cousy and Bill Sharman. The following year changed when Sharman went out to L.A., and uh, then Sam Jones moved up into the number two or the shooting guard position. But Heinsohn and Russell and Cousy were still there, and I was that uh, other forward.
1: And Casey Jones came along. It, it just It's like one Hall of Famer after another.
0: Just yeah, yeah, Casey was extraordinary. The thing is, of course, Casey was never—he uh, was never a very stylish player. He was just extraordinarily productive on both the offensive and defensive end. So, uh, folks, don't mention his name any times with uh, some of the outstanding guards in the league. But uh, the Hall of Fame has recognized that he—he he was a player.
1: Definitely. Now, in practice, did you get to go up against Russell?
0: Uh, no, in fact, practice was was always interesting. You know, people, media people had a habit of looking at the practices sometimes and said, "Well, Russell doesn't practice. You know, he just sits on the side." Well, the problem we had was then when Russell was practicing with us, he was blocking shots. So the problem <laughs> we had was that we were not going to run through those plays. Worse than that, he knew the place. So. Uh, we' we were just not going to have Russell blocking our shots so our back in the sense of having a good practice a good solid run would have Russell uh run hard for a few minutes with us but he would have to sit him down so we could go through the plays and and do what we had to do because he was an intimidating factor for us also who was the toughest guy you played against uh Elgin Baylor for me was uh, was was really uh off the charts of toughness he was uh, about 230 pounds uh 6'6, six, six, and out of, you know, from the Los Angeles team, the Lakers, and, and he was just so capable of, in any game of getting anywhere from 25 to 50, 60 points. He was just that kind of machine. What people didn't know about him was that he was an extraordinary passer, and the word in the league was, you never double team Elgin, and I never got any help with him out on the court. It was always Russell to back me up when he got past. But the issue was don't double team him because his next pass is always extremely accurate and always two, always good for two points. So yeah. he was a he was a force.
1: Yeah, he he was sort of the, the Michael Jordan of his days, the Doctor J of his day. He he was that first really sort of flamboyant guy who could do the reverse uh, layups and all that other stuff
0: and As, do so much in the air. Right. Yeah.
2: But Sam Jones said he was easy to guard because you just watched his eyes and you knew where he was going.
0: Sam Jones was easy to guard.
2: No, Sam Jones said that Baylor was easy to guard because he had a certain tendency, and you knew what it was, and that's the way he was going. He'd watch his eyes or his head.
0: <laughs> yeah, Sam Jones never had to guard. <laughs> <laughs> never had to guard. Uh, Elgin Baylor. Listen, there are many players in the league, great players, who you always knew where their strong hands were. Yeah, I mean they were going to go to the right if that's their favorite. You know, we knew that Michael favored the white, uh, the right hand. We knew Jerry West favored right, but. That never made any difference. (laughs) So Sam just likes to talk. Uh, No question about it.
1: (laughs) Now, could Red Auerbach exist as a coach nowadays?
0: Yeah, I think so. You know, the key thing that players have to have is uh, respect for the coach. And Auerbach's credentials were very clear. But the other thing that Auerbach had going for himself was he was not only the coach, he was the general manager. And it helped a great deal so when you were dissatisfied with the coach you know red would just say hey you know i know how you feel go talk to the gm <laughs> okay <laughs> that's end like,
1: of conversation oh, right?
0: no question but that's also like the san antonio team all right after popovich if you don't like what popovich is doing go complain to the gm which happens to be popovich again <laughs> so you know when you're in that kind of seat you're pretty much in control. Yes, Auerbach could do the job nowadays.
2: Were you kind of disappointed when uh, Phil Jackson won the title to basically tie Auerbach and thinking to yourself, you know what, I feel bad because he was our coach and I hated to see that record go down.
0: No, nah, not at all. Hey, all those records were are, are, are just there and whoever is an accomplished coach or player is going to break them. Really just that simple. Uh, whether Reggie Miller is hoping that no one breaks the threes and, of course, uh uh Allen comes along and breaks it, or you're talking about the points, Uh, Chamberlain has a lot of points, and if someone comes along and finally breaks that record, you know, Jackson's a good coach. He's certainly done a heck of a job. He's won the games. He's won the series. Guess what? (laughs) If he's won more finals than our back, he has the record.
1: And he's also had the superstar players wherever he's been, that always helps.
0: Yeah, well, if you think about any of the winning coaches, what do they have? Superstar players. That's right. All back. And no matter who you name, uh, Riley, any of them will always have superior players. Because uh, no matter how you name the coaches, the great coaches uh, who have the great records have outstanding players.
2: What do you think of the Miami Heat, what's going on down there? Do you think they have a chance to win it all?
0: Oh, no doubt about it. They're they're a talented team. They have a chance. Uh, Whether they'll be able to do it will depend on health and style of play. Uh, whether teams are able to slow it down and take advantage of the fact that they may not have much strength in the center position. But, uh, hey, they've got as good a chance as any of the uh, six, seven top teams in the league.
1: What about the Celtics?
0: Yeah. No, I, th- I picked Boston earlier to, to win the whole thing, and I think Boston is still the strongest team in there. Uh, they've got a combination of veterans and, and, uh, and, and young players. That make them uh, my choice and clearly health is going to have to play a part in this.
1: Now day. speaking of young players, Chicago has one in Derrick Rose who's pretty good. A lot of people think he'll be the most valuable player in the league. How do you assess the Bulls' chances in the postseason?
0: Um, they're one of the top 16, and I include Boston, uh, certainly uh, uh, Chicago, uh, Miami, uh, Orlando, definitely uh, San Antonio, and uh, in L.A. I mean, that, that's that's where I think the champion is coming from.
2: Who's going to present you with the uh, the um, award when you go into the Hall of Fame? Who's going to be your presenter?
0: Oh, so, you know, I don't even know. I haven't given it that, that much thought, to be frank with you. I'm still basking in the, uh, in, in, in the so-called glory of being uh, selected. I'll deal with that when the time comes.
2: We talked to uh, one of our guests last week, and he was worried about Rodman's antics when he gets inducted, that he might say something to embarrass the NBA?
0: Well, I don't think so. That's well, I think, listen, he's a former player. He's not in the NBA. All these guys are personally on their own going forward. Uh, you don't really expect uh, David Stern to answer for grown men. You don't expect the NBA to answer for grown men. If he chose to say whatever he wanted to say, I mean, there have been some interesting speeches, uh, in the Hall of Fame. The NBA is not responsible for that. And so if Rodman chooses to go in another direction, that will be on Rodman. Yeah, He's not, think, a, he's not a puppet, neither were any of the other guys.
1: No, I think the worst would happen when Rodman would show up in another one of his wedding dresses. I think I think we're all pretty safe there. <laughs> yeah, Dennis does have his moments of clarity and sanity.
0: Well, listen, Dennis, is, uh, Dennis has done well in basketball. And, you know, the bottom line is how he has played and uh, not not frankly what he has done uh, off the court in his private life. And you take a look at a lot of uh, players. They might have had uh, other changes and other situations they've gone through when they've finished playing, but uh, that that hasn't uh, cast a spell or cast a different version on their game. If they were productive, they were productive.
1: Now, there's been some in uh, the world who think, you know, all Rodman did was, you know, rebound and play some defense and really, not much of a factor on offense. How do you view that?
0: No, they're correct. Except for one thing, those teams never would have won without him. Not any of the teams he played with would have won championship without him.
2: But, I mean, if you have Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen to the top 50...
0: Be serious. Be serious. Michael played six years. Am I not mistaken? Before he won a championship?
2: You're right. He learned how to be a team player. And that's the problem with that? Will Chamberlain. He well, never learned how
0: to be a team player. That's what I'm trying to say. So, what are we talking about here? Without Rodman, those pieces, those other pieces had to be there. You had to have, uh, was it Kerr?
2: We had Steve Kerr, John Paxson.
0: And you had, who was the other shooter there? That, um, Craig Hodges? Yeah, uh, you know, Craig And you had one more shooter. I know who was in the front office with the uh, GM for a while. John Paxson. Uh, no. Really B.J. Armstrong. Yeah, yeah, B.J. You had four really outstanding shooters that they had to have when the pressure was on Michael or the pressure was on Pippen. Hey, they they had to have one or two guards free to score, and those guys came through. So when you talk about a team, if you don't have the ingredients, you can have uh, truly an outstanding player capable of getting 40, 50 points. If you don't have those other role players or somebody like a Rodman, Hey, you know where I trouble.
1: Yeah, you know, and he went from being a Detroit Piston bad boy to being beloved in Chicago. It's amazing what a change of uniform does for a player. Who is this? Rodman. Oh, right. You know, the Bulls fans used to hate him when he was with the Pistons and he's on the Bulls and they embraced him, you know, like he was almost another Michael Jordan or oh, Scotty Pippen. E-
0: easy decision. Very easy decision. It's a pleasure to play with a guy like that. I mean, the players love him. Well, you
1: you you knew he wasn't going to take any shots from you.
0: Well, and and you knew that he was going to give you an opportunity to get uh, at least uh, 10 more shots a game. Because that's how tough he was also on the offensive board. Uh, And he was going to give it up to, and when he got that offensive board, he was definitely going to pass it out. I mean, those kind of players are really hard to find. There's not a team in the league that doesn't wish that they had a Rodman. We got not one.
2: We got Noah who's similar to Rodman, who rebounds the ball and passes it.
0: Yeah, he does it he does an extraordinary job. I, I thought it would take uh, uh, take him maybe another year or two to reach this level of play. But hey, he didn't waste any time at all.
1: Yeah, I mean his improvement is has been near miraculous. You know, he came into the league as sort of a novelty out of Florida. And you thought, okay, maybe he'll, he'll provide some energy off the bench or something like that. But he's turned into a legitimate NBA starting center, uh, someday probably an all-star center. Yeah,
0: you know, I don't see anything standing in his way. You know, he's uh, he was always able to block shots. He could really run, get up and down the court. And there was never any question about his, not only his skill level, but his ability, his hard, hard playing, Is a lot it- of heart.
2: Is there a hatred for the Lakers if you played for the Celtics and vice versa, or you guys root for each other when you're not playing against each other?
0: No, well, hatred, you know, as you well know, is a very strong word. I I venture to say that you you worry about the opponents whoever they might be. You know, you're not going to play easier against uh, San Antonio because uh, they don't have they have a different title. You're going to go out there and try and play as tough as possible against Ginobili and Parker and and, and all the other guys. It, you know, it's it's a nice uh, media rivalry to toss out, but I, for real, you're gonna play tough once you get in the playoffs, trying to get to that championship level.
2: We got Dave Collins coming on next. Any dirt on him?
0: Not dirt. <laughs>
2: Any stories about him?
0: Well, I just uh, Tommy Heinsohn had told me how tough he was. I had just I was just recovering from uh, a little cartilage problem with the knee and contemplating retirement when Tommy Heinsohn told me how great uh, that we had another left-handed center coming in that could really kick some behind, and a really tough kid. So I said, hey, how tough can he be? So I was rehabbing, and guy came back that first training camp, and immediately I wanted to find out where his heart was, and I jumped right on his back to get an offensive rebound. And uh, I didn't wake up in the hospital, but, <laughs> but I was semi-conscious. That was one of my... One of my concussions, okay. It was a mistake. But uh, I wanted to find out where his heart was. I did. And that was one of the real fun things to play alongside of Dave Collins. I really liked it.
2: Thank you very much, Satch. It was a pleasure talking to you. And congratulations on the NBA Hall of Fame or Basketball Hall of Fame.
0: (laughs) Okay. Thank you. You guys take care. Thank you.
2: You're listening to Sports and Torts. We'll be back in a few with one of the top 50 players of all time in the Basketball Hall of Fame, Dave Collins. You're listening to Sports and Torts. Stay tuned.